Check, check. It is good to gather. There we go. So we're having problems with the, with the live stream. Hey, live stream. I hope you can hear me now. It's good to, it's good to see you guys and to be heard uh, with you. Uh, I'm going to be beginning a new series uh, on uh, this man named David. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel. Uh, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Uh, I should be able to finish about eight chapters today. So that's, that's the goal, okay? So just like buckle in if you need to. Uh, but we're, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Now, you may of no, you may know something of David. Um, it, what he's most famous for is what? He did, yeah, yeah, he killed Goliath. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it, when we think of David, we immediately think of he killed a giant and then we move on. And, and there's so much about the man that is David that's written in scripture. It just fascinates me. It's one of the, uh, as a character study, it's one of the like best proofs that, that, that the authors of the Bible were telling the truth. Because if you want David to be a hero, you cancel out all of his negative aspects, right? You just, just talk about all the good David did. Maybe you make up a few stories about him and, and you carry on. But the Bible doesn't do that to David. The Bible doesn't whitewash and clean his reputation for him even after he's gone. They didn't go back and edit the Bible. And so what we have with David, this man David, is this guy who has an amazing capacity to write worship music and then also doubt God like at the same time. He has an amazing capacity as a king to point his entire nation towards God and the truths of God, but as a father, he couldn't do the same for his children. He was not a great dad. Uh, he was not a great husband uh, to his wives, but, but he did right by them in other times. And so what we have is a really human person uh, in the Old Testament named David that is he's, he's a hero of sorts, uh, but he has flaws. And if you're like me, you're a hero of sorts, but you also have flaws. And it's good to know that God still uses people with flaws. So we're going to start, uh, it's going to be five or six weeks where we'll look at David. But before we get to David, uh, I, I need to introduce like the bad guy in the story. There's a guy that David is sort of up against throughout the early parts of his, uh, his, his parts in the Bible, and that's this man named Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and so we're going to spend today looking at Saul. And I was trying to think of, like, what's a good way to describe Saul? Uh, he, he is a guy who has, all, like, all the pedigree, all the... Um, uh, uh, if you looked at his job history, like if he did a resume to present himself as king, he has all of the qualifications to be king, but he really stunk at it. I don't know if you've had a boss like that. Like this boss who, they, they have all of the qualifications to be your boss, but whenever you're working with them, they have no idea what you do. They can't guide you and, and, and help you accomplish your task at all, yet they are the supervisor, right? I, I had an uh, English professor in college. Uh, she was uh, uh, one semester away from getting her PhD, and my, my first red flag was she said, you guys can go ahead and call me doctor. I, I won't say her name, so you can call me Dr. Smith. I'm thinking, but you're like, a, you're like six months away from being a doctor. I, I don't know that we need to do this pre preemptively. Uh, my, my second red flag was that she didn't know what an adjective was. And some of you are like, well, I don't know what an adjective is either. And that's fine, except you're not teaching college English to, you know, like seniors in college. Uh, so she, she really struggled with that. And the, the third and final thing was we were doing a, like a, a book report or something over uh, uh, C.S. Lewis writings and things. And so C.S. Lewis is talking about watered-down Christianity, and she's like... I don't know. I think he's talking about baptism or something. And I'm like, no, that's not at all like what we're talking about right here. Uh, and so it, I had this teacher in college that she had all the credentials. I mean, she was really about to be a PhD level person. She had all of the work history, but as far as teaching English, she wasn't awesome at that. Uh, maybe, maybe you had a boss when you were a kid that, like, sure, they're the supervisor. Maybe you have a boss now, but you don't want to talk about that. Uh, sure, they're the supervisor. Sure, they, they've been doing the job 20 years longer than you, but 
they're kind of a Michael Scott in the industry. Like, they, they don't know what they're doing. They, I know you people who laughed at that joke, you are my people. If you know who Michael Scott is, you are, you are my, my people. What we get with Saul is he is a guy that on all outward appearances would make a pretty decent king. But when it comes time to actually king things, uh, he's not awesome at it. And so I want to look at him uh, and set him up because he ends up being the bad guy for much of David's career and much of his life. And so today uh, we're just going to look at the lessons we can learn from Saul. I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 8. and Let me set this up. I need a third hand. The guy who wrote Samuel is a guy named Samuel, which is uh, pretty self-evident. Uh, Samuel is, uh, he, he, he falls in line of the history of Israel. That's a, a, it's kind of a unique space. Uh, after Samuel, they're ruled by kings, which Saul is going to be the first king. But before Samuel, they were governed by judges. And so if you know your, your books of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, and then Judges. Judges is a season of time where God didn't let any one person or one family rule over the nation of Israel. He would just raise up a judge every generation. And so the people would do what they thought was right in their own eyes, and then and then they would like run away from God, and then God would raise up a judge. And you get stories like Samson and uh, others, and 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 God would raise up a judge to kind of correct them. And then they'd fall back in line, and then again the next generation would do what they thought was right in their own eyes. Samuel is the last judge of that kind of that lineage. He's kind of half judge, half prophet at this moment. Up until this moment, uh, Samuel has been kind of judging Israel and, and leading them in, towards truth. He's, he's found peace with all of Israel's enemies. Uh, he, he kind of ends his career of judging as a man who found peace with the Ammonites and the Philistines. Like the, the country's doing okay. Uh, but then Samuel gets old and he appoints his children to be judges after him. And so let's start in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judge over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, uh, Abijah. Uh, they were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And so now you already see some corruption building up. Samuel, he was a pretty decent judge, but then his sons, they just did whatever they could to get extra money, right? And so uh, as a judge, it's my, like, you guys are at war, the Hatfields are at war with the McCoys, and so I'm going to come here, I'm going to judge. And it's just like, whichever one of you gives me the most money is who I'm going to help out, you know? And that's what Samuel's sons did. And the people, they don't like that. Nobody likes it when there's injustice. And so verse 4, then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old. Now, that's just a great way to start, like, your, your conversation with a guy. Hey, we need to have a talk. You're an old guy. Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Their, their goal is that they're going to start with Samuel, and they're going to say, hey, uh, you're an old guy, and you're on your way out. You're going to die soon. And your sons, they're not doing your job. We want a king. Now, this is the first time that people ever wanted a king, but with, the reason why they want a king is because they want to be like everybody else around them. One of the mistakes that Israel falls into is a mistake that you and I fall into a lot is that we're called to do a thing, but then we see these people over there doing a thing. We're like, we want to be like them. We want to do this. You see this in churches a lot where they'll see a church across the street doing a thing. I want to do that. I want to, I want to have 40,000 Easter eggs next year. Nobody cares. Uh, we do this with families, right? Uh, we, we as, as moms and dads, we, we raise our children. And we, we make these decisions like your bedtime is this and your curfew is this. And we have all these things. But then they come home and they say what? 
well, I want to be like Johnny's family. You know, Johnny's mom lets him stay out until midnight. You know what I say? Well, Johnny's mom doesn't love you as much as I do. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, like it's, it's, we're a different family. But, but this, this problem that Israel has is the same problem that we have in our families and our workplace. We see something over there, and we think, I want that. I, I want that. I want what they have. And so they're telling Samuel, uh, we want a king. We want to be like these other people. Samuel doesn't like this idea. Uh, he thinks it's bad for the nation. In fact, he goes and he prays to God, and there's a little dialogue between him and God. Uh, you can read that on your own time. Uh, and basically, it's like, listen, Samuel, this is God talking to him. Um, they're calling for a king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to let them have it. Apparently, uh, what we can infer from this is that God's plan for Israel was to never have kingdom, never to have kings. That, that would be a very different Old Testament. I mean, the rest of the Old Testament is how the kingdom split and who was the king of this and how this king behaved. But apparently God's model for them was something completely different. And so let's fast forward down to verse 10. And here's, here's what Samuel says. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. He gave them the warnings. He's like, hey, oh, excuse me, uh, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll, he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers he, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the, uh, the tenth of your grain uh, and of your vineyards and give it to, your, uh, to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. The warning Samuel says is, you think you want a king. You think you want to be like them. Here's what's going to happen. From the moment you get a king, you will never be without a king. And that king is going to take from you more than you ever intended to give him. Right now, you're free people. Um, but if you get a king, you're going to become his servant. And he's going to come, and your oldest son, who's really strong, he's going to recruit him. He's going to be a warrior in his army. You, you have someone in your family that's really good at, like, building things and has been building you, you know, your farming equipment. He's going to take him in. He's going to build chariots. This king that you want, he's going to build a war machine, and he's going to build it on your backs. You really don't want this for yourselves. But, verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our Battles. What they wanted was someone to take all the responsibility off of them and to go out and do this thing. He's going to go. He's going to judge for us. He's going to fight our battles. And they don't understand the cost that it is going to be. And so we get to meet the king. They're going to choose uh, a king that has a great reputation, a great uh, heritage, a pedigree. Let's read his pedigree real quick. Chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. This is Saul's dad. The son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorath, son of Aphia, uh, a, Benjamin, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. Uh, I don't hear you guys clapping. Do you, do you recognize those names? These are like, these are big names, guys. You don't, you don't know who this is? Neither do I. I don't know. Uh, Samuel wrote it down because the first audience who read this would be like, oh, I know that guy. Oh, wow, he's from that family? Are you kidding me? 
This is a wealthy, well-to-do family that has accomplished a lot. They're well-known in their community. And yet, history has completely forgotten them. Nobody, nobody knows anything about them. The people of Israel are about to get exactly what they want, and they look out, and they pick this family that has an amazing reputation for, for getting stuff done, um, but they, they didn't matter much in all, all of history. He's a man of wealth. And it says in verse 2, And he had a son whose name was Saul. And here are his qualifications. A handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upwards, he was taller than any of the people. His reputation is this. He comes from a great family. He was a good-looking guy, and he was tall. Yeah, you know, like, like, why is this? Why is this what the people want? And yet, they, they, they. This is exactly what they're asking for. They, they end up getting uh, this man to become king. And so the story unfolds. The rest of that chapter is that Saul. He goes off. He's like looking for donkeys. He meets Samuel for the first time, and Samuel says, "Hey, I think." I think you're the guy that God has chosen to be king and anoints him. So there's this moment in Saul's life where it's like a secret. He knows God's secret. I'm going to be king of these people. It hasn't been announced to the people yet. But in verse uh, chapter 10, verse 17, they're going to yell this to the people. So they're about to proclaim Saul to be king over Israel. Imagine you're in the crowd. Hey, guys, gather around. Gather around. I'm going to tell you who your new king is going to be. Uh, but before we do, I have an announcement to make. Here's Samuel. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord in Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. I'm inflecting the I, if you didn't notice that. And from uh, the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. The announcement of who the king is going to be is God says, you're rejecting me for somebody else, so let's do this. And all the people are like, yay, we're doing this. Let's get all of our people together. So they get into to, to their groups. Um, if you don't know this, uh, Israel is formed by 12 tribes. These are the 12 sons of Jacob. And so each of the 12 sons, uh, a thousand years before this, had kids who had kids who had kids. And now they've grown. And now these tribes are considerable groups of people. This would be like, uh, think just for our context, uh, if you know American history, think of when we had 13 colonies. There's there's 13 individual entities that constitute one country uh, when, we, when we formed a union. Uh, and each one has different governing rules, different people of power, different, different things about them that is unique. Um, but, but they all are going to constitute one thing. And so Samuel says, get all these people together. And then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near. And the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Uh, let, me, let me explain this thing of Lot. Samuel has already anointed Saul, but in order for the people to understand that God has chosen uh, Saul to be king, they did this thing called lots. And basically what it was is you'd have like a big jar or a bag, and you'd put all of these pieces of clay in it, pieces of uh, uh, ceramic pottery, and you'd have something written on each one, right? So you might have each of the 12 names written on this. This is the same as like how you choose coaches for Little League Baseball, right? All the dads get together, they put all their names in a hat, and they pull one out, like God has selected Jesse to be coach. I don't to coach kids, uh, but you know, yeah, this is how you did it. And so they, they, they did this with the tribe. So they got all the 12 tribes together, and the tribe of Benjamin was selected by Lot. And so they get all the tribe of Benjamin, it says in verse 21, uh, together by its clans. And so different families inside the tribe. And the clan of the Matrites, Matrites, 
was taken by Lot. So now we've weeded it down to just this one group of people. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. And so they pull this out, and it's like, Saul. We have Saul. Somebody go get Saul. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Why? Where, where does Saul go at this moment? So they said, they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? Like, did we choose the wrong one, God? And the Lord said, uh, assumed through Samuel, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. <laughs> so here's, here's our man. He's going to be king. He's the man that everybody thinks is obvious. And now they've pulled his name out of the head. Get Saul. And everybody's like, I don't know. I haven't seen him all morning. I don't know who it is. He's known all morning long that he was going to be the one to be king. And now he's hiding amongst the baggage and they can't find him. And it took a special revelation from God to be like, he's behind the oak tree. Like, it's just so bizarre <laughs> what's happened that Saul has like run and hidden. So there's a lot of question as to why is this a character defect? It may be that Saul is a coward. Uh, if you've ever been asked to do a hard thing, maybe it's that Saul doesn't think he can do the hard thing. And so he's just sort of like, he doesn't know. Or maybe he was there when Samuel started the speech and he's like, you are doing a thing that God doesn't want you to do. And he's like, I don't want that for me. I don't, I don't, I don't need that on my shoulders. Uh, but Saul, he's hidden himself amongst the baggage. It says, then they ran and took him from there. I would love to see someone make this into a movie. Some cowardly little kid just hiding behind the baggage. The crowd hears from God where he's hiding. And they ran and they took him from there. It sounds like forceful, you know. We got him and they're all celebrating. He's crying, sniveling. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. They're excited. He, he still has tears in his eyes, boogers in his nose because he's crying behind the baggage. And they're like, we got us a king. A lot of people cheered for him. Some people didn't cheer for him. Some people are like, who's this guy? He's, he's a wimp. He's crying. Uh, we don't like him. He's not going to be our king. There's some argument there. And then everybody scatters. It's so bizarre to think about how, how this happens. There are moments in life where you and I, we, we're like maybe in prayer or someone's like discussing with us. We know what God is about to do, but it hasn't happened yet. Like Saul knew that God had anointed him as king months before this event. And then like this moment is when it was announced, but he's still not king yet. It was just announced. We have our king and they just scatter they just go about and do their life some more because timing has to unfold as it goes. And so they scattered. And Saul, he goes back to the fields and he works his dad's land. He does a thing. But there's a moment where uh, the Ammonites show up. You can read this in chapter 11 on your own time. The Ammonites, when Samuel finished judging uh, Israel, and, you know, you're old. You can't judge us anymore. He did great. He had found peace with the Ammonites. But as soon as they announced the next king, like the things that Samuel had done starts to undo. And so this guy from the Ammonites comes and he goes to attack one of the, the tribes, one of the villages. And the village sent someone out to the Ammonites and said, hey, listen, you know, we don't have to fight. We don't have to kill each other. Let's, let's form a treaty. Will you form a treaty with us? And this guy from the Ammonites, he says, yeah, you know, I'll form a treaty with you. I'll tell you what, if I'm going to form a treaty with you, I need you to let me gouge out everybody's right eye, all of your right eyes. Okay, and then I'll, we'll be in peace after that. And the people are like, uh, no, <laughs> we like our eyes. And so they're like, uh, let us consider that for another week or so. And so they leave. And so they have a week to figure out, are we going to let this guy gouge out our eyes? Uh, and just like, we'll be one-eyed people for a while. And so they said, somebody go get the king. It's time for the king to do a kingy thing. Time to king up, Saul. Saul's just like in the fields. And so Saul, he gathers his people. 
He goes and gets a few guys together. He says, I need 100 people here, 100 people here. I need a couple of people here. And he forms like a whole battle strategy. It's the first time he's ever kinged, and he forms a battle strategy. And they sneak up on the Ammonites. It says early in the morning, and they spent an entire day up until noon just slaughtering the mess out of them. Let's read that together. Uh, in verse uh, chapter 11, verse 11. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. It's like, it's like from 6 a.m. to noon, just like, let's fight. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, after this battle is over, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Who was it that didn't like Saul as king? Let's go get them. Let's, let's kill them too. Uh, bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king. Now he's king. Before the Lord in Gilgal, there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. He does a kingy thing. He has victory. And they said, well, let's get all the people who hated on Saul, and let's, let's get rid of them. And Saul does another kingy thing. Let's forgive them. It's very Abraham Lincoln-ish, right? Abraham Lincoln, at the end of the Civil War, everybody was like, let's go kill the South. And Abraham Lincoln's like, no, we're pardoning them all. Let's just, let's get on with our country. Saul does a very Lincoln-y thing, and he says, no, we're just going to forgive them, and let's just build this country. Makes him king. If the story of Saul ends right there, he has a couple of character flaws, but he's kinging okay. He's, he's doing all right. But something has changed with Saul after that first battle. Saul now has a taste for war. Saul has a taste for battle, and he really likes having people cheer for him when he wins a fight. Now, how many of us have gotten in trouble uh, because... We were forced to, I don't know, um, uh, I'll put it in a parenting context. There's a ton of ways to do this. Uh, you, you, you're kind of pushed to this limit where you have to discipline your children, and you raise your voice a little bit, you yell a little bit, and they immediately get in line. It's like, okay. And now you have like a taste for yelling, a taste for raising your voice, and like the next month or two of your parenting is a lot more of that than it should be until you're corrected. Does this ring any truth to you? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's at work, and um, you, you, like, you do your normal 9 to 5, but this one week, it just required more work of you than normal. So you did an extra, you did 60 hours that week instead of your usual 40. Uh, and then you get a taste of all the celebration and all the clapping and all the people cheering you on. Even though it's unhealthy to do that all the time, you had to that one time. Uh, and now, and now, you just, now you're working 60 hours a week every week just to get the praise of other people, but your family misses you at home. There are moments in our life where, like, you're kind of forced into a situation, you get a taste for a thing, and then you, you lean on that thing more than you lean on God or lean on what God is calling you to do. That's what Saul does. He has a taste for war, and now, and now he just leans on war. He just goes to war with everybody. They weren't at peace with everybody until the Ammonites were like, I'm going to pluck your eyes out. Well, you've got to do something with that, right? If some, if some grown man comes in your house like, I'm capturing your family, you as a dad or protector of your home, do something to protect them, but don't go out and get in fights with your neighbors after that. You, know? like, you don't need to, but Saul, Saul did. And so he gets in fights with the Philistines, and you probably know them from these stories. Uh, he, he, there's this little battle. Uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, has a little battle with the Philistines. Jonathan wins. Saul like kind of takes credit for it a little bit. He blows his trumpet, like, we want to fight over the Philistines. And now the people are cheering for Saul. Yay, Saul, yay, Saul. Well, this, this ticked the Philistines off. They're like, that wasn't even a real battle. They all snuck up on us. And so the Philistines attacked. 
And now Saul, who's been kinging a very short time, got into a fight he couldn't win, and he takes off. Uh, he goes and hides. All the men go trembling. They go hide in a cave. They're waiting for Samuel to come. Somebody go get Samuel so God can help us. And here's where things start to go south for Saul. Uh, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Uh, they, made, they made Saul king. Did they make him priest at the same time? No, no. Here, here's something we need to know real quick about Judaism. Uh, kings do king things. Priests do priest things. Kings do not do priest things. If they do, it messes things up. You have to wait for a priest to do the priesty things. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to do the burnt offering. A burnt offering is not just like a, like a lighter. It's a, it's a whole event. Like you have to get the animal. You walk him in on a leash. You slaughter him in front of the people. There's prayer. There's like blood sprinklings. There's a big barbecue feast. You do the burnt offering. Everybody eats this big barbecue meal, thanking God for this moment. It's a huge ordeal. And, and Saul's like, I can do that. I can light a fire. I'm going to do all of these things. I'm tired of waiting for Samuel. So he says he offered the burnt offering. And as soon, verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. Because that's how it works. Whenever you do a thing you're not supposed to do, immediately the guy who is supposed to do it shows up. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? He walks up and he can smell the barbecue. He knows what's happened. What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me, I saw those people, they were scattering, uh, and that you, he points at Samuel, you did not come within the days appointed. And those Philistines over there, uh, they had mustered a mikmash. I said, now the Philistines, he starts guessing what's going to happen in the future. The Philistines, they're going to come down against me at Gilgal. And, you know, I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Saul's like defense is, they did a thing, they did a thing, they did a thing, they might do a thing. So I forced myself to do the thing that I knew God didn't want me to do. Here, here's where Saul starts breaking down as a leader, is that he starts to justify wrong actions. Uh, and he tries to, he tries to compensate with, with God for them. That, that what, what Saul does is, is unlawful. Uh, he shouldn't do it. Uh, but then instead of taking credit or taking ownership of his problem, instead of saying, you know what? I was scared. And I, I thought I was going to lose that war. And I did a thing. I'm, I'm sorry. He just blamed everybody else around him. Not, not very kingy. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue, Samuel says to him. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not uh, kept... Uh, the Lord's command. You've not kept what the Lord commanded of you. What Samuel says to him is, is uh, God's about to replace you. God's going to choose someone after his own heart. And that has to be like a sting because it hasn't happened yet, but it's been announced. The rest of, the rest of Saul's career is him trying to compensate for this one moment. He has passed the point of no return, but instead of facing the consequences of that, he tries to compensate for that over and over and over again. He's really good at war, so he goes to war a lot. Uh, chapter 14, I'm just going to read one verse real quick, how it sums up his whole career. Verse 52, it says, There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. One of, one of the inarguable things about humankind, about you and I, is that when we find ourselves in a deep hole, we dig deeper. When we find ourselves making mistakes, we just lean on this other strength that we have. 
Saul was called to king the nation, and he only did one aspect of it, and that is fight, 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 fight. He was supposed to rule. He was supposed to, to help lead. He was supposed to set a good example. He was supposed to point them towards the Lord. He did none of those things. All he did was fight. You know, some of us in here, we, we, have, we have this one skill set that we lean on way more than we should. And God's like, hey, slow down. Slow down on the workaholism. Slow down on the drinking. Slow down on the, the and we just, we're like, I, I made a mistake. And we don't own it. We, we pull a saw, and we just drive straight forward, plowing through everybody, and there's destruction around us. What Saul didn't understand, and what he's going to learn, is that his actions have ramifications for everybody around him. And so the straw that breaks the camel's back, and we'll end with this story, is that Saul is to go judge these, uh, these, these uh, Amalekites, can't keep all the kites up, uh, these Amalekites, because they've done an evil, wicked thing. And the, and the judgment that Saul was supposed to produce is like, God's like, you're really good at fighting. You like to go to war. I want you to go and destroy them. I don't want you to leave anybody standing. I don't want you to take any of their things. I want you to destroy everything. And Saul goes in. He has a battle. He wins the battle. It's very decisive. But he doesn't destroy everything. His, his soldiers go and get, get rich off of this, take all the loot. They go get the pretty women. They, he captures the king. He does, he does everything uh, that he would want to do, ignoring God's commandment, and now he gets called out on it. Read, read with me this last bit, uh, chapter 15, verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Sometimes when we're running from the Lord, listen, dads, moms, real quick. Sometimes when we're running from the Lord, we're making mistake after mistake, and we think it's just us that it affects. Someone across the world, someone else that loves you greatly, is crying all night. Samuel is crying over something that somebody else did. Verse 12, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. He, he wins his battle, goes to this mountain, sets up a monument for himself, and he turned and he passed on and he went down to Gilgal. I had to pull up a map because I don't know Israel that well. I don't know like how far Carmel is from Gilgal. That's a day's walk. He is a day away from where he was supposed to be. Samuel's like, I'm going to go meet him where he's supposed to be. And he gets there. Instead of finding Saul, he finds a monument celebrating his own victory. And so he's going to go down to where he is a day later. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. He's like, hey, I did exactly what God wanted me to do. And Samuel said, well, then, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and this lowing of the oxen that I hear? Why, why are all these animals around, Saul? Where'd they come from? Saul said, they, and he points it off at someone, so they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. God wanted him to destroy everything, he says, well, yeah, but God didn't know how good these things were. God didn't know. So we, we brought these here so we can give them to God. That's what the people did, though. You know, it's the people. Then Samuel said, stop. Like, hey, shh. I bet he put his finger on his lips. You know that moment, like in movies, where you're like, hey, shh, just stop talking. Just puts his finger on his lips. Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And so Saul says, yeah, speak. Tell me. And Samuel said, verse 17, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Samuel calls him out. He says, you think you're, you think you're not affecting other people. You're dragging your entire family. You're dragging your entire nation down this road with you. 
The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, here's his moment. He could apologize. He could say, you're right. He could say anything. And he says, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. He draws a line in the sand and says, you don't get to tell me what to do, Samuel. I did exactly what God wanted. My relationship with God is private to me. And Samuel says, no, it's not. It's affecting everyone, man. He says, I've gone on a mission which the Lord sent me. Uh, I brought Agag here. This is the king. And we're going we're gonna to kill him in front of everybody. That's what we're going to do. And Samuel's like, that's not what God wanted. That's not what God wanted at all. And so uh, I'm going to fast forward uh, to verse 22, Amy. And it says, and Samuel said, has the Lord uh, as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It's over, man. God doesn't want you to compensate. God doesn't want you to make more sacrifices. God just wants your obedience, Saul. It's over for you as king. I'm short on time, but you can finish the chapter, and what you'll see is that Saul's like, I'm really sorry, man. I'm really sorry, but I did, I did what I thought was right. And Samuel's like, no, you just had to do what you were told. You just, you just had to be a man of character. and Stop blaming other, other people. That, that, uh, that passage that Samuel, that, that I just read, verse 23, 22 and 23, uh, David, the man that we're going to be studying this week, or this, this series, uh, he copies that in Psalm 40. Yeah, I put a little note right here. It says Psalm 40. You go read how, how David uh, approached this exact same topic, quoting what Samuel said to Saul in Psalm 40 later. But for now, uh, I just want to take a step back and say that we have a pretty good idea of who Saul is. We haven't met David yet. Uh, we'll meet David next week and see what kind of man David is and why, why David is being risen up as the, the answer or the counterpart to Saul. But what I want to say is, like, what can you and I learn of Saul? Because you and I want what Saul has, uh, that is a relationship with God, to be called, to be on mission, to do the things that God has called us to do. We want those things for ourselves. We want those things for our families. What, what can we learn from Saul that, that would be a takeaway? Uh, the first is this, is that being is greater than doing. See, Saul was called to be a king. What he decided to do was choose one aspect of it and do, 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 do. Just keep going, keep pushing. And when he made a mistake, he just compensates for it with, with doing more. Saul would have been wise to just stop and just wait on Samuel instead of having that offering. Saul would have been wise to uh, stop digging his hole and stop blaming other people and just, and just say, you know what, I'm, I, I, I apologize. You and I would be wise to stop trying to overcome our deficiencies with more action. We'd be wise to just pause and be like, who, who am I? Who am I to God? In, in the habit series, we need to settle our who before our do. Saul did not do that. Saul did not fully own the responsibility of what it meant to be king. We would be wise to fully own what it means to be the responsibility to be a, a friend, to be a father, to be a husband, a wife. To, we, there's responsibilities in that. And we don't get to just choose who gets hurt and who doesn't. Uh, it, it's all a, a package deal. The second thing is that character is greater than compensation. Every time Saul had a, a mistake in character, he tried to compensate for it with something that looked religious, smelled religious, but was nothing that God asked him to do. God did not want to sacrifice the best of the Amalekites. 
God wanted to judge the Amalekites. And Saul's like, I'm going to do a religious-y looking thing. You know, we would be wise, you and I, to not show up uh, to church and show up and do things and try to do religious things to compensate for our character. We'd be wise to just like, God, show me more of my character. What would have happened if Saul says, Samuel, I, this, this being king thing is hard. It's bigger than me. Um, how, how do I do it? What would it look like if, if we as husbands just went to another husband and be like, this is hard. How, how, do, how do I, how, how can I be a better husband to my spouse? How can I be a better father to my children um, instead of trying to compensate for our weaknesses by just doing the one thing that we're good at? And the third and last thing is that obedience is greater than sacrifice. There, there is a, a path to, to forgiveness for mistakes, but it would be a lot better on you and everybody else if you just, just like sought the Lord and did what he was asking of you to do. Saul, Saul would have been wise. You and I as Christians, um, our faith uh, is far more durable than, than Saul. Saul has significant consequences, but because of the cross, um, our payment's already paid in full. We, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have these, these consequences like this where, where God's going to remove his spirit from Saul. That happens next week. But what we have is a, a loving Lord who's calling us to truth, is calling us to be men and women of character, to be men and women of obedience and trusting his way over other ways, to not look to other nations and other families and other households and other, other businesses and just to, just to be clear about who he's calling us to be. In doing that, will put you in a far better position than what Saul had. And the people around you would benefit from you doing that as well.